0: Very much tailoring this day. Well, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the, whole point. That's the whole point. It's uh, the yeah, perfect exactly. day. And I am guaranteed to graduate yes. uh, because I was good at these subjects.
1: It'd be yeah. a really shit perfect day if I said to you, at <laughs> <the> end, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah you, but you, fuck off. You, yes, you, this was all in vain. Yeah, You'd yeah, fail, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to last first day the podcast where I Billy Gleason lead guests from all over the entertainment industry back through one more perfect day of school why were well, their schools happen to have reached out and told me that these people were technically one day short of graduating I know rubbish! However, due to my magical powers in the space of about 45 minutes to an hour each week, I can lead them through the hallways of the Last First Day Academy, give them one more perfect day of school, get them all graduated, and then everything's fine again. It's like nothing ever happened. Now, if you've joined us before, well, you know exactly how the format goes, then don't you little show off. But if you're new to this, you are more than welcome, and you're welcome to go and check out some of the old episodes too. Just last week, I was down in Venezuela with the hilarious Joanna Hausman, learning her origin story and the week before that i was with late night legend brian stack walking the hallways of his catholic school in chicago but now we're going to trek back over to the uk because i have a treat for you a treat in the form of a little pink box with some shortbread biscuits inside for the boss so grab your tea because you are not going to want to miss this episode of the last first day with arlo white Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of The Last First Day Podcast. My guest today is a sports broadcaster, commentator, and dare I say actor, who you may know if you're a Premier (laughs) League fan, if you're a cricket fan, if you're a Seattle Sounders fan, if you're a Chicago Fire fan, if you're a golf fan, and if you're a fan of the Apple TV Plus sensation Ted Lasso. I've managed to steal him away from his busy schedule between the dreary skies of Nelson Road and the bright sunny fairways of the Southern Hemisphere to be here today, I'm thrilled to have him on, and it's a pleasure to catch up with my friend and yours, Arlo
0: White. Arlo, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. That's the first time I've been uh, regarded as an actor, despite the fact that I possess a certificate from the Screen Actors Guild for member of the Best Ensemble Cast in a Comedy Series from two years ago, which I've yet to get framed, but I will do now. I've moved house. Yes, part-time actor. That's going on the CV. Did you ever think you would see the day? No, I didn't. And I think when you get into football commentary in particular, you know, growing up watching movies, growing up watching TV shows about sport... I always wanted to get to a certain level whereby someone would ask me to be in a film right. or someone would ask me to do a computer game yeah. or something. <laughs> and and to be part of Ted Lasso has been the most extraordinary experience, arguably, of my professional life. It's been amazing. i have never got the FIFA gig and that still <laughs> pains me, but I'm on Score Hero, which is an app that some kids play. I've ticked all the boxes now. I can retire at the end of my next contract and uh, have achieved... Everything but the Ted Lasso thing has been absolutely amazing, and I, and I still believe I mean, it's I put on episode five yesterday, mm-hmm. and I'm like the first voice in the episode. and Good. The first lines I recorded for that episode because I've been doing VO sessions pretty much every week since they finished filming, and the first line I recorded in my closet last Tuesday morning at 3 15 a.m. before flying to Spain to see my brother. Jason did a rewrite, the last minute line, and it's the first line in episode five. So you kind of think, how bizarre has my life got? I've just got this
1: image of your family stood outside of the closet chanting and calling you a bastard just to give you the, the real atmosphere of a football stadium so I was like, Can you just chuck
0: a few pints my way just while i'm doing it did you have to be so vociferous with the ginger wanker chants on the outside of the, of the wardrobe it just felt like you enjoyed that guys a little bit too much god very specific you knew my no, middle yeah. name why are
1: we putting that in there god mate so as we speak as you briefly mentioned We're in the final season of Ted Lasso. We think, we think. We think, we think. All reports online seem to be saying it is. Yeah. But I want to speed back to the beginning of the story because coming up on about 10 years ago, you were part of the commercials where the Coach Lasso character was created and you had to act opposite Jason in a commentating role. Of all the distractions you've ever had in your career... Where does
0: trying to do your job with a comedian in your ear rank? Present company (laughs) excluded. There is literally no comparison. I mean, I know, you know, Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso have their moments of high humor and they have cracked me up on air a number of times, yeah. but nothing to the level of Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso. And I can remember that day vividly because it was in the preseason and I got a message just to say, you know, you need to get to Stanford, Connecticut by whatever day, whatever time. And I was in uh, Northern Cyprus on a family vacation at the time. Oh, wow. So it was quite complicated. I had to fly back early from the vacation to. London, and there was a baggage handler's strike. And I only made the flight to New York by about three minutes. And had I missed that flight, I never would have been in the commercials. So therefore, would never have met Jace, would never have met Brendan Hunt, his great mate and co-star and co-writer, and therefore never probably would have got into the series. Maybe, you know, that'd be another gig that Peter Drury gets, you know, um, (laughs) to add to the long list. Um, But (laughs) So, so, you know, it's kind of serendipitous in some respects because had that bag not come off at that time and I didn't get on that flight, then my life would have changed. But it was just a brilliant day. I can just remember how much I was buzzing afterwards because to be that close... To someone that talented, there were, you know, one or two setups, but he didn't feed me any lines whatsoever. And, you know, we only see about a minute of it in the promo, but we were going for a good hour and a half, you mm-hmm. know, and I kept ruining takes because I was laughing, you know, and I'm like, this is so hard to keep a straight face because you're just cracking me up. Eventually, I got into it and did a passable job. But then when I got the call seven years later, eight years later, to say, listen, we're, we're turning this into a TV show, we'd love you to your party. Of it. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And I said to Jason, I remember we we're outside. He came to see us dressed as Ted Lasso at Crystal Palace slash Nelson Road. Right. And we were doing Palace against Man City. He watched the first half with us on the gantry, and then he went off into his seats. And then in the parking lot afterwards, we were chatting. And he, I said, like, you know, how do you get a TV series out of what is basically a singular Gag about a hapless American coming across to the UK in crazy circumstances and getting a job in the Premier League. I mean, it's hilarious, but how do you turn that into a show? And he said, "Yeah, we're going to give Ted a little bit more depth. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there's needed. going to be some other characters." <laughs> and he's got to give me a look as if to say, "Yeah, we've got this, Arnold. You, you stick <laughs> to your football, you know." And what they produced is absolutely sensational. Mm-hmm. That was going to be one of my next questions about it was.
1: Truly your reaction when this all first came up, because I know, at least from my experience, the genre of sports sitcom, if you will, seems to have Mm. failed many times. People haven't quite hit it right, but Ted Lasso's managed to do that and more with the show it's created, clearly based on all the awards and praise it's getting. Do you have any idea what that secret source is with this show? What has made this connect in ways that other sports sitcoms haven't in the past?
0: I think it's the depth of Jason's portrayal of Ted Lasso and the way that has been written and the relationships that he has with everybody around him. Timing, I think, was very important. And we go back to the start of the lockdown and we'd finished filming I mean I've done a couple of days filming I think I did three days filming for this season with Chris Powell who's turned into a good mate of mine as well <laughs> to the point where Chris is getting ready for a quarterfinal of the World Cup England against France and I'm texting him going like good luck mate he says oh I can't wait to see you down at Nelson Road again you know and it's <laughs> like wow well, because he was on the coaching staff for England I'm like this is nuts what's the start at 11 Chris no you couldn't tell me that obviously so the timing I think was very very important because once the filming had ceased Then they're in the edit, and then we're all locked down. And I can remember having to do voiceover sessions because it's, I guess, my role in it is to drive certain bits of narrative around the football. And and sometimes in the edit, different things come up. So you've got to tweak the lines. You, You might, you know, you might have a goal call that has to change and names change, et cetera. So we were doing that, and I was doing it under a blanket in my rented office at home with a guy, Brent, who is just absolutely amazing, a sound mixer in LA. So most of the voiceover that you hear in the first season was done under a blanket under a duvet in my sparse rented office at home and it was just bizarre um they did such a really good job with it but in terms of how it's connected with people people were locked down billy weren't they and yeah. i think there wasn't a lot of good news about there wasn't a lot of good feeling about so once this series hit TV screens on Apple TV Plus, it was an instant phenomenon because we all watched it and we all felt fantastic mm-hmm. in, in otherwise dreary, worrying, restricted circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I think the timing allowed people to sit and really focus on it, really enjoy it and and get hooked. And there are certain tenants that have come out of it, like, you know, the believe, be a goldfish and stuff like that. It's just caught on, hasn't it? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's resonated with people and it's turned into the, the cultural phenomenon that it is today. I had a
1: conversation with Will Buxton a few weeks back about Drive to Survive, which, of course, that had its blow up during the pandemic phase Mm. as well. And I think a big part of the success of that show and Ted Lasso as well is that both of those things, while the sport is obviously a big part of it, it's not necessarily the driving force. Ted Lasso is not a show that's made for football fans only there's not like you have to understand the ins and outs of it it's the human connection of the show it's understanding what Ted's going through in his life there's a lot of human connection for Ted this season a lot of understandable things that Mm. he's Mm. going through that I think a lot of people out there in the world can relate to and I think the fact that the show has done that so well and not alienated people with the sport itself has been incredibly important and wonderful to watch the
0: last big question, I guess, mate, any more acting in your future? Hey, listen, I'm open to office, really. I wouldn't want to <laughs> rule anything out at this stage. I love new experiences. I'd love getting out of my comfort zone. I like it when I'm scared. I like it when I'm nervous. It sounds counterintuitive, but I like doing something that I know matters. I knew that this mattered and mm-hmm. testing myself. And I, I can remember one day because people think, like, oh my God, you just take it to this like a duck to water. But it's like, hold on, I'm playing myself reading off a teleprompter (laughs) now i know a bit about myself so it's not that much of a stretch of my acting chops (laughs) and i've been reading teleprompters for my entire career Mm -hmm. so from that perspective it hasn't been that difficult but there are a lot of things that can go wrong on a shoot as you well know and we have all these it's just so fascinating we'll have A couple of takes of a goal, for example, and that'll be the end of the game. That's a full-time Western Richmond have, have, you know, won again. Then there'll be uh, another game. And all these extras around you just stand up. They disappear. And another load come in and sit down. And you're like, oh. And I started joking with them, like, well, it must be a big game today. The Guardian are here. (laughs) And I remember saying to the team, I think it was one day filming this year, right, what time have you been booked till, everybody? Mm -hmm. And they said, like, oh, it's going to be a long one today. It's going to be 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, I said. I'll have us out here by 4 p.m. And I got us out at 5 to 4. And it was like, that's a wrap. And everyone, it was like, I just won everyone the lottery. All the cameramen are like, oh, nice. We can go to the pub. This is fantastic. So that part of it was a lot of fun. And just seeing how a TV show is made, filmed, put together, and the finishing product has been a fascinating experience. So I would love to do more of it. I don't think people are going to be knocking down my door to do anymore. But yes, I'd love to experience something like that again.
1: Maybe not the next SNL cast member, based on what you've said previously it might be might be a long takes to get there but you never know you never know you mentioned about this work with all the extras and it being different each time you've of course gone into a very different venture now with live golf mm. uh, serving as their lead commentator a very different energy and travel schedule to many of the sports you've called in the yes. past do you feel like you've had to adapt going from football into golf or do you feel there are some mm. qualities in sports broadcasting that transcend all sport I think both. And
0: I think what surprises a lot of American broadcasters is if you worked for the BBC, as I did BBC Radio for the first 10 years of my career, you are covering a lot of sports, not necessarily commentating on, but you're certainly hosting shows, you know, about different sports. And I did quite a bit of golf in that situation. My now great friends and colleagues at Live Golf, particularly the on-air guys, were petrified when I first came over because they thought this guy, we like him. We want to look after him, but he's just going to be thrown to the wolves because he doesn't know anything about golf. And I had to sort of slowly convince them that I've not been brought in. To be the golf expert, I've been brought in to do the league commentary, get people across the team aspect of it, host the show, host the halftime show, host the post-game show, and just be that general traffic cop, Mm -hmm. if you like. The secret, I think, to the success of it so far has just been staying in my lane. It's, It's knowing what you don't know. Mm-hmm. and not trying to fake it because what I would usually do in a situation like this would be to read every book I could possibly read on golf learn about Ben Hogan learn about Arnold Palmer Jack Nicklaus and the whole history and how we've arrived at this point and I thought you know what that will be utterly pointless mm-hmm. now, I've got a lot of knowledge by osmosis down the years anyway but it would be utterly pointless because I will never mention if I do it will sound like I'm trying too hard. I need to get across what the format is of this competition so that we can broadcast cleanly, informatively, and hopefully entertainingly. So oh. they are skills that I gleaned at the BBC and also, you know, with NBC doing pitch side desk, doing studio hosting as well. Yes, the subject matter was far more familiar to me, but you do learn how to sports broadcast, and those are transferable skills. But to say that it was easy would be an absolute massive lie because it's totally different. We're doing six hours live television with... Probably a maximum of two P breaks <laughs> in the porter cabin outside the studio. We have commercial breaks now on the CW, but we continue for the world feed. Three days running, so by the end of the Sunday, you know you're pretty frazzled because you've had to a concentrate for that long. You're also having to keep the energy level up to something approaching football levels mm. for that six hours, because I've been brought in because I can belt out a big goal call or a call of a winning putt. And that's exactly what they want, because they want this to sound different to what has gone before. Mm. On that perspective, it can be extremely draining. And that's why David Fairtee, who, by the way, is just one of the most incredible men I've ever met in my entire life. He calls me the eternal flame because I never go out. Um, So when we get to the country or the course or the city that we're broadcasting from, I go out on the Tuesday and we have a nice meal and whatever. And then no one sees me in a social sense until the traditional beer and pizza night on the Sunday after we've finished. And then I cut loose. I honestly can't believe that I'm in this position where I get to travel around the world, travel to the States probably seven or eight times a year. I'm off to Australia tomorrow. From Australia, we go to Singapore. I get weekends off, you know, throughout the year, which was unheard of in my in my previous previous role I'm spending more time with friends more time with family and I'm just generally happier Oh,
1: great, mate. You, it really is important to have that feeling. And I wanted to give some credit to David Ferretti because when you said he came up with the nickname Eternal Flame, I was going to say, that's the best nickname for a ginger I've ever heard in my entire life. You were like, no, it's not related to I was like, oh, it's kind of a double-edged one. That's good.
0: <laughs> yeah. It works on so many levels. So, so, David. that you know. smart.
1: <laughs> what an incredible group you work with, mate. That's really fantastic that you found that over there i'm so so happy for you there is one thing though that does make me so so sad and it is the reason you're here today and yeah i hate to bring this up it's always so awkward as i've said before i keep luring people in with all this lovely conversation and catching up only to let them down but i'll just get into it i'll just get into it so i got a call earlier this week and it was from your secondary school. I couldn't quite hear the name of the school at the other end of the phone. What was, what was the name of it? It must have been Bosworth College. Bosworth yeah. College. It was them. Whereabouts yeah. was that? That was
0: in Desford in Leicestershire.
1: Desford, Leicestershire. So Bosworth College. They give me a call. And yeah. they say, Billy, I'm so sorry about this, mate. Arlo's really hard to get hold of. We've, we've been trying to get hold of him. There's been a clerical error. He's been stuck under a blanket. His reception's not very good under there. So we <laughs> cannot get his phone to ring. He's got all these VOs to do. He's traveling all around the world. He's doing stuff for these online game apps now. He's just, he's so busy. We can't get a hold of him. I mean, he's living the dream. But we know you run this podcast and you might be able to get a hold of him. Your old mates used to drive him around back in the day that's a story we haven't even got into yet by the way when i was your taxi driver but we will get there oh yeah and good times (laughs) so we would been trying to get a hold of him because he was technically one day short of graduating so if you could just walk i know i know it's absurd mate you'd think let that go let that go just move on because why do you need someone to come and relive one more day of school but it defeats the entire point of the podcast if we don't do it so we're gonna (laughs) go through and i'm gonna ask you would you be willing to relive one more perfect day of school so we can get you all graduated and everything and it's like nothing ever happened
0: Yes, I'd love to, I'd love to. Fantastic. And it's just, you know, it's coincidentally, just before we get, get into it, I was recently awarded an honorary doctorate from the University of Derby. Yeah. So technically I, I should be Dr. White, I suppose, <laughs> but I only insist my children call me that. Um we went through the process because they got a football journalism course. I've been a mentor to quite a, a few of the guys coming through on that, give talks, you know, give career advice and for what whatever it's worth. Mm. So they, through that, they said, and through the achievements in sports broadcasting, etc. they said, we'd like to give you an honorary doctorate. And I said, oh yeah. So when did you come to the university? I said, well, uh, between 91 and 94. Right, right. Because there's no record of you actually being here. <laughs> well, I, I said, right. Well, I definitely was. Now, whether I was on campus that much, um, that's debatable. But it had just turned from a like a polytechnic or a college education into a university. It was statistically the worst university in the United Kingdom for the three years that I was there. So I don't think they kind of got up to speed in terms of like computers and HR and all that sort of stuff and logging people's, you know, active students that were actually there. So an alumni program, if you like. And I had to convince them that I indeed did go to the University of Derby, but i never graduated interesting if you get me actually graduated from the university as well that'd be great
1: mate we could do a sequel with that one so that'll be (laughs) that'll be an episode we do a few years i could hold you on for that one that sounds like the plot of a chris nolan film that you just like you you just you didn't really exist at university and you've got to convince the world you existed that's great i'm gonna pitch that as well make yourself some money so here we go though the last first day of Dr. Arlo White. I'll call you it for the episode if you want. It's better than calling you Miss Daisy like you made me do when I was driving you around back in the day. But let's get into it here. So let's start with the school, mate, the easy one. Tell us a little bit about Bosworth College. What was it like? Where
0: was it? Just give us the general setting. So it's Bosworth College. It's in a village called Desford, which was sort of equidistant between the rough people, which was me and my friends, and the, the offspring of the landed gentry from Market Bosworth and places like that, Newbold Verdon, mm-hmm. Sheepy Magna, and places like this that we'd never heard of. They were the sons and daughters of farmers, of politicians. And when this rough inner city lot came and we all mixed together, it was like oil and water for for the first year. And there mm-hmm. were lots of fights. And it turned out they were all quite hard as well, so which really disappointed us. We're the rough people. We should be the ones that can win fights. But mm-hmm. they've grown up, you know, throwing sheep around and playing rugby. Mm-hmm. So they were very big and strong. Most of them could speak fluent French. We'd been educated to the point that you could probably successfully order a loaf of bread in a boulangerie. But that was about it. <laughs> These guys could speak fluent French. The village was very nice. We had to get a coach there in the morning. One of the early memories would be every morning the coach drivers would have on Radio 1, which is a BBC like pop music station, yeah. and Simon Mayo at that time was doing the breakfast program and I subsequently worked with Simon Mayo for many years on BBC Radio 5 Live yeah. and we got on very very well. Big Spurs fan. So oh. yes all the all the buses would gather in this massive car park and all the all the posh people would get off their bus, we we get off ours, we'd probably have a couple of fights and then go into 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 school in the morning so oh it, but it God. was it, some of my best friends you know lifelong friends because i'm still friends with most of my school pals you know the, the group that i knocked around with were the posh people but maybe i was always a shameless social climber <laughs> maybe that's where it started bill and now you're
1: a golf commentator now you're
0: a golf commentator yeah. you've gone well, to the poshest of sports yeah,
1: yeah naturally polo next <laughs> for you <You've laughs> <Yeah>. got- <laughs>
0: welcome to live croquet
1: (laughs) (laughs) if we speed back just before we're getting into the school you mentioned the trip into school but do you remember anything about the routine in the mornings what sort of time did you wake up was there a uniform for school that sort of stuff before you leave in the house what was your routine
0: your breakfast and stuff Never a morning person. So it was just chaotic. So mm-hmm. I would, you know, mum would come in and wake me up. I can remember the previous school, Winstanley High School, that we did actually have a school uniform. We had a tie shirt, jumper, blazer, and uh, and trousers. And the tie came off because we uh, people just started taking the mickey out of each other. So the tie came off before the first lesson and never mm-hmm. went back on again. And by the end of that school, I was wearing like, uh, well, I thought I was styling in my team BA Baracas sweatshirt and a pair of sort of burgundy khakis. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but at the time that was de rigueur. So, yeah, it, it would have been chaotic. It would have been just necking down two Weetabix soaked in milk, mm-hmm. uh, covered in sugar, and then just grabbing whatever I could and uh, sprinting up the road. More often than not, just in time for the bus, but there were occasions where I missed it. So, I've always been a sort of slightly chaotic morning person. The only time I've not been consistently late was when i was doing the breakfast program at bbc radio 5 live and i had to be up at 3 30 every day but that's so scary that i find it all right getting up at that time i've just for some reason i can't get up at eight o'clock in the morning and that to this day is still a problem when you said the ties came off was
1: that the school told you to stop wearing ties no, 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 it was
0: optional. And, okay. uh, and we decided as a group that we didn't want to wear the ties. So we mm. took the ties off.
1: Was it the taking the mickey in regard to length of people's ties, people not wearing ties properly? I remember all of this yeah. from my school days and it's giving me flashbacks.
0: Knots. Pathetic knots. Mm. And because, again, not a morning person, so you have to, I mean, did you leave yours done up in a knot? Overnight.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You just slide, you're off yeah, half yeah. Windsor, so slide just, it off. Yeah.
0: Yes, that was what I did for that first morning. I kind of did it the night before, so I'd, I'd know how to do it in the morning because I'd never tied a tie in my entire life. Mm. And my dad had to help me. Some people had it the knot all the way down on their chest. Some people, it was perfectly done. So they were the boffins, they were the squares. Mm-hmm. You know, you could tell by knot and knot length and how loose it was or otherwise, just exactly what that kid was at school to do. Mm-hmm. What was it to learn about stuff or just dick about? Yes. Um, you can make a very accurate character assessment just by looking at the ties on show that first morning. We had a ridiculous thing in our school
1: because we had a black, purple and silver striped tie. And if you were showing more than, th- I don't know who instituted this rule. If you're showing more than three of the white or silver stripes, that meant that this person over here was allowed to punch you. That was just the way, <laughs> it's just the rules. So if you're showing me, you're you showing off. Oh, exactly. You're not supposed And you think back, people were wearing tires down to like barely nipple level well that's that's the cool (laughs) way to wear ties we should have known then that was not gonna last i was trying to tell them but i got i got smacked about for it for wearing
0: a tie like a normal person i wasn't aware of that you know the phrase the old school tie until i got to the bbc i didn't realize that the nation was so divided into people that went to normal state schools and people that went to private schools Mm -hmm. and the sports media business is littered with people that had very expensive educations. And when I got into cricket commentary, I just happened to mention to the cricket producer one day, I'd like to do some county championship or something. He said, oh, I tell you what, you should go to South Africa for the Cricket World Cup in 2003. And I'm like, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking Derbyshire <laughs> against Sussex, but sure, you know, if we want to move, let's do Cape Town what the hell you know so I was down there for six weeks and that, that kind of led to getting into to cricket broadcasting but when you do a test match wherever it is in the world on test match special the venerable test match special a real institution in, in UK broadcasting but you get presented by a co-commentator with a TMS tie and mm. these things are coveted in certain walks of life in the UK because that means you know you've done it you, you've you've commentated on a test match for, for this amazing institution well I, the penny didn't drop for a while that that's what Private school people do. They can tell who each other are by the design of the tie, and it's mm-hmm. old Etonians and old Herovians and all this sort of stuff, which made up, you know, basically the entire BBC sports department. So, but whilst I was there, I was in a way, I was the diversity higher because I couldn't pronounce my H's because I was from Leicester <laughs> and I had a sort of regional accent, and that got me in a weird name and that got me through the, the interview process. So, this tie is a bit, it's never left the plastic sheath that it came in because I'm very proud to have got it. Mm -hmm. And it's on display in my home, but the concept of the old school tie is so alien to me. And I kind of, it rubs me up the wrong way a little bit because I think there's so many advantages for people that went to those schools mm-hmm. um, and us working class kids were just playing catch up the whole time I don't like necessarily what it represents and the irony being that I took my only school tie off before the school even started <laughs> on the first morning so you call my you call my relationship with the school tie institution uh, mixed it's complicated it's complicated yeah, it's complicated <laughs> so, yeah,
1: yeah. so we've got an idea of your outfit of your BA barackas and your cords going into the school for the start of the day and as we're scheduling out your perfect day we like to get the bad stuff out of the way first here at the last first day academy what mm. were the classes you dreaded that you were maybe even pulling a sickie if you saw them on the schedule
0: you got no interest in yeah. reliving those classes hated physics Physics I just, to this day i think i've got a level of intelligence in some areas I can do arithmetic because you have to in cricket and working out points and working out, you know, golf scores and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. not a problem. Complex mathematics. I just glaze over. I can't be bothered. And when have we ever used that subsequently? Mm-hmm. If you're going to you need that for your job, you do it later. You, you do it at a level, do it at university. But why we learn all that stuff at school, I'll, I would never know. But physics, I just couldn't get my head around it. But latterly, I made a huge mistake, Bill, because In picking my A-levels, and because I'm lazy, I pick the minimum amount of A-levels that you can do, which is two, which means I had loads of free periods in the sixth form common room and just, you know, basically dicked about a bit mm-hmm. and I chose film studies which was amazing I loved it that introduced me to the likes of Alfred Hitchcock and Francis Ford Coppola and we spent six weeks studying um, Apocalypse Now and all that it was just amazing and two guys from that class there's only about 15 of us in there are now senior lecturers in film studies at universities in the UK so oh, it was yeah. just it was it was an intellectually enriching situation where we could sit down and just generally talk about themes and all that sort of stuff the other choice I made and why I didn't change I don't know was sociology mm. and I got an E in, in sociology. I got a B in film studies, which means what, what in the old point system, I think it was, I only got eight points. So that, that's why I ended up at university of Derby, but you know, yeah. as we've discussed, it all turned out. Okay. Yes. Um, but sociology was just awful. Mm. The idea that you could study human behavior as a science and expect the same results in certain situations each time just baffled me. And some horrible long double periods. I should have switched to history. I just love history. and I don't know why I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I thought probably it would be too difficult for me. I didn't have the confidence to have a go at it. So I chose a subject that was way, way more boring and uh, far more difficult. So that backfired spectacularly. <laughs> Sounds like both of those... the
1: physics and complex mathematics and sociology. you got one class that sort of doesn't really give you any answers, like you said, with sociology, expecting there to be concrete answers to everything when life is incredibly complicated. And then physics, a subject that does everything to put an answer and put a formula to everything is also incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Realising that life is somewhere in the middle, I think, is the Dr. Arlo White way of life, which I
0: find that very is, interesting. I'm going to start a sect. <laughs> yeah.
1: yes. so, you're, so those those classes, as you said, was it were both of them just sort of everything, the, the subject matter, the teacher, just all of it, everything. or were there standout yeah. aspects yeah. that
0: were bad? Well, I got on very well with my teachers. And um, there were a lot of very, very good teachers back then. You know, a lot that were mailing in, I suppose. But my film studies teacher was a chap called Ian McCormack. And he actually looked like he should be a geography teacher. He was the classic beard, round glasses lumberjack plaid shirts corduroy blazers with patches on the elbows Uh huge West Bromwich Albion fan I mean goodness me the conversations we used to have about Leicester City and West Bromwich Albion Uh but he got us talking and he treated us like adults he encouraged us to look at things in an intellectual way that I'd never been exposed to before and if you had a view on something he would never laugh or degrade you if you were talking nonsense because he just wanted to encourage you to, to come out with ideas and to engage with what we were watching so It's just how it works, isn't it? Those double periods, you look forward to and they flew by in a flash and you were devastated when the bell went and it was break time. But, you know, completely opposite to sociology where every minute seemed to last an hour. People like Ian McCormack who genuinely cared, was genuinely interested in us as individuals. A lot of people say the same thing about him and that's not a single bad word. He did always lose his marbles one day because my brother followed in my footsteps and did a bit of film studies as well. And he took home... One of the vhs tapes i think of like apocalypse now or you know strangers on a train or something like that but took the wrong vhs back in <laughs> and it was a little bit fruity this, yeah, this vhs and <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like this wasn't an accident Mark, my brother, claims it was an accident. Uh, but when Ian McCormack put what he thought was like Strangers on a Train, the great Hitchcock film, in, he got something approaching Debbie Does Dallas. And that, that did not play particularly well. And I think he just lost his mind at my brother for uh, for a brief period. But that's there. I mean, you have to congratulate Mark. He's the only man that managed to ruffle Ian McCormack during, uh, during our school career. It took basically porn to do that
1: (laughs) i'm sure strangers on a train there's probably a porn version of that out there (laughs) so i just got confused they're the same thing they name the same thing same setting i'm so sorry (laughs) so if we're building out the good in your day film studies sounds like it's obviously got to be on there somewhere Some people like to build their day out with the best first, some with the best last. Where are you putting film studies with Ian McCormack in your day? Is that at the beginning or at the end of the day?
0: I'd probably put it at the end of the day then because that's just a great way after lunch and you look forward to it all morning and a great way to end the day is and you can always go over a little bit of time because the buses wouldn't leave so if we're having a nice chat Mm -hmm. we could always stay behind for five or ten minutes to to finish it as well
1: awesome so we're looking for the first thing for you now then what is the first thing that's going on your schedule could have been a little bit of history could have been something like that what's the
0: first class to start in your day It would be media studies, Mm. probably. It's no coincidence that I've ended up doing what I do because I've always been interested in the media. I've always been interested in in sports broadcasting. So media studies was really good. And I I got a a very good grade at GCSE in media studies. So I'd certainly have double media studies lesson, you know, with a film studies in the afternoon. I'm very much tailoring this day. Well, that's that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. uh, It's the perfect day. And I am guaranteed... To graduate yes. uh, because I was good at these subjects.
1: It'd be yeah. a really shit perfect day if I said to you at the end, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> yes, this was all in yeah, vain. Yeah, you fail, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that first class media studies, was there a teacher that really stood out? Was it really just the subject
0: matter that gripped you? It was a subject matter because it was Mm. stuff that I was really, really interested in. I mean, I was, at that time, I was producing my own hard-hitting weekly sports magazine called Sports Weekly. Mm -hmm. It took me ages to come up with that uh, (laughs) title because it coincidentally came out once a week. So um, that kind of works. And it was basically before the advent of laptops and I'd have to get a typewriter and i cut pictures out of the newspapers of various sporting events paste those onto a piece of A4 card, both sides, fold it in two, and then I'd have to write on the typewriter and fit it in between the spaces and then my dad would take the master copy to work because he was a printer and he would photocopy me 100 copies and i'd give them out at school and amongst my football team oh, wow. so we did about 45 editions of that so and very sadly i used to take a recording walkman down to leicester city football matches at mm-hmm. uh, this time and to leicester panthers american football matches where i interviewed sean payton do you remember the, the head coach I do, Clark, I the Denver do. broncos yeah, yeah. he was a bang average quarterback for the Leicester Panthers in 1988 and I can tell you from experience he does not like to talk about it because um, I've interviewed him and he shut me down and walked off at the very no. mention of Leicester oh my yeah God. Like, really surprised me I thought he'd had lots of really nice things to say about it you know his his summer in, in the UK but absolutely hated it um, or certainly hates it being brought up when it was in the Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints yes, um, yeah for me it was from a lot of very sad lonely days upstairs editing TDK's c90 tapes and a failed attempt to make marie curtis my girlfriend that never worked out so i, was, I stuck with this sports weekly and the, and the leicester city radio network so if we're building out the perfect day marie
1: curtis says yes Marie Curtis, yeah. we, we have
0: a snog at lunch we'll
1: fix that in later so we're in a good place because we've got first and last lesson of the day we've only got one more lesson to squeeze in mm. but we've got a couple of other pieces of the day you've got that first class media studies did you have a little break in the day? Did Not lunch, but did you have a sort
0: of mid-morning yeah. break? Yeah, 10 or 15 minutes, I think. Not really much time to do anything, was there, in those mid-morning breaks? Nah. You'd probably have a little bit of a kick around in the playground, but you'd have to be quick. Probably more heads and volleys than it was an organised game. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, During the break time, because you haven't got time to pick the team, so you just kind of have a bit of a free-for-all. You can only score with your head or off a volley. Yeah. I mean, some of the absolutely appalling football that we play, but some of the belters, when you top-binned it <laughs> from the edge of the area or something, and it was just amazing, was it? Marie Curtis was watching. That was, you couldn't bottle that feeling. I uh, wish you could. Uh, Maybe you're doing a quick
1: game of yeah. headers and volleys at break, and then we've got to slide in that yeah. second class of the day. Technically, the way we've done it with you, your third class of the day, but we're putting that right in the middle. What's the last class you're
0: picking? PE. Oh, okay. It would have to be PE, yeah. We have. We had some – I, I was very lucky at junior school, uh, going to Ravenhurst Junior School. Mm-hmm. We had a, te- a sports teacher called Mr. Butler, who uh, wasn't, wasn't particularly – tall but was fiercely competitive so he'd come in at cricket practice he'd come in off the long run and often try and beam you which is a which is like a pitch uh, a bowl that doesn't bounce and goes straight for your head and he just wanted to win and it's like calm down you know calm <laughs> down we're, we're only 11 but we're all tall <laughs> so I think therein lies kind of the motivation there uh, for, for Mr But he was brilliant he organised all the school teams and school practices and all that sort of thing so we were very lucky that we went to these kind of very good sporting schools mm-hmm. uh, until until the industrial action that the teachers were taking, and they stopped doing extracurricular activities. Unfortunately, from about fourteen onwards, so we didn't really have yeah. many school teams to be. Yeah, it was really sad. So they they wouldn't do anything that they weren't being paid for, which I, I guess is fair enough. And of I think course. it's all changed now. But there was no more school um, representative sports, sadly. Mm. But PE was was good, and games like Do you remember Danish cricket? No, I don't familiar with that. Stumps painted against the wall, and it was a football, and okay. the ball was uh, was kind of bowled at the stumps, and you had to kick it as far as you did, and then and then you run as many times as you can before the ball is is brought back in. That was a, that was a brilliant game, and it was just all these sorts of Danish rounders, and what I don't know what Denmark did. Doing, know. You know, Inventing all these sports, <laughs> none of which have caught on. But <laughs> it must be massive in Denmark, I don't know. But um, we're very competitive and obviously I love my sport. So doing um, good PE lessons was brilliant. You'd look forward to that. Yeah, Sounds a bit kickball-adjacent
1: Danish yeah. cricket. That, yeah, that sounds probably. Well. I think those were the ones where I often had the most fun in PE or games or whatever. We were sometimes the ones where we were doing something a bit unconventional, you know, we would do rugby yeah. all the time. We would do it in the summer it'd be a lot of cricket and athletics. But then when they chucked in like a game of dodgeball, because dodgeball, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It was the yes. best day of PE. You'd do it maybe once a year, which you'd sort yes. of think to yourself, teachers, why don't you do this more often? Because you have to do absolutely nothing. You have to put <laughs> yeah, a few yeah, balls yeah. in a room, yeah. separate us chaos and just call the odd ambulance yeah call the odd ambulance and it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine, it's
0: fine. <laughs> but you, you just absolutely flung it as hard as you could and so, and you weren't supposed to aim for the face were you Bert? you weren't supposed to it slipped you weren't supposed it, to it, it slipped. was so easy to pass off as an accident oh fantastic
1: <laughs> so your day's mostly built out we've got your media studies we've got your break with your headers and volleys we've got your pe Film studies is at the end. We're missing two pieces. We're missing your lunch, and then we've got to do something mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So lunch, very important question. Did you bring? Did you buy?
0: I brought. Mm. And um, if I had one or two paid-for school lunches in my entire school career, I'd be surprised. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the slop they used to deliver in the mid-80s in Leicestershire State schools, but I was probably, you know, better off that way. But right. um, So I always used to bring a packed lunch. And, you know, sometimes mum would absolutely nail it ham sandwiches, packet of crisps, maybe a club, you know, the little chocolate bar mm. and an apple. Yeah. That'd be basically it. But you could tell when it was getting sort of late in the week and she hadn't been to Asda yet. And I still to this day, me and my brother, I was with my brother in Spain last week and we, we talk about it every time we get together. Do you remember the lettuce and salad cream sandwiches? And we're both like, why, How? What, why why did she even think of that combination? Because you've got to factor in, particularly on a, on a warm day, the soggy value of a lettuce and salad cream sandwich. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they tasted horrendous even if they were chilled, you know. Yeah. But when they were soggy and warm, it was just horrible but you were so hungry you just had to get through it so you know you knew on the way to school that this is going to be a little bit of game of Russian roulette when you open the lid of the lunchbox right but you knew from just looking at the lunchbox there'd be salad cream coming out the sort of the edges and you knew that this was just going to be horrendous (laughs) um so ham sandwich day is very good lettuce and salad cream sandwich day is very bad
1: so i remember those days not that i don't think my mum ever gave me specifically salad cream and lettuce but i definitely know <laughs> kids who got combinations of that factor i've had many times where i've spoken to people out here in america where they've heard of maybe they've been to the uk for a bit and come back and they've said salad cream what is it and <laughs> in all my years so it's like mayonnaise i'm like no and they're like well, what is it uh Really, it's sort of it's white, but it's in a ketchup bottle. Make it. (laughs) Don't think about it too much. Just go for
0: it. I didn't have mayonnaise until I was nineteen. Really? I'd been drinking for two years by the time I eaten (laughs) (laughs) eaten mayonnaise. I mean, it was just such an alien thing in, in the UK in the eighties. No one had mayonnaise. What was it about I, salad I cream? It, but it wasn't until I was, you know, came to America to visit my auntie in Chicago for the first time that I had mayonnaise. It changed my life instantly. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I mean, you could probably take. You know, count the amount of times they've had salad cream subsequently on one hand, because <laughs> mayonnaise is just is just the king now. And also the, the, the scarring from my childhood uh, sandwiches. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so if we're picking that lunch, the preferred one is just your standard solid ham sandwich, crisps, Ham sandwich, white fub. bread, cut, yep. in,
0: cut into squares.
1: Yep. Cut into squares, got to have it squares, crisps. A pub. penguin, you said penguin you're changing from a club you, to a penguin i'm going from yes i'm going from club to penguin what flavor are we going we're going original we're going mint what we we're doing? going original no original. we're going original i can visualize this lunch box it's so good so fantastic we've got that lunch laid out you're feeling great and you have gone into your last class of the day i'm going to quickly speed through to catch everybody up yes. to where we are at this point before we get to the very end. So. We're at Bosworth College in Desford, Leicestershire. You woke up in the morning, mum wakes you up, you really didn't want to get up, but you did. You've gone downstairs, had your wheatabix drenched in milk and sugar rushed Mm -hmm. out the door so that you could get the coach and your coach ride to school Simon Mayo is on BBC Radio 1 and you're going to meet him years later but you didn't know that then but you manifested it and that's fantastic you get off the coach you've all whacked each other you've taken your (laughs) ties off physics and sociology are nowhere near the schedule because your first class you're going into media studies you're making sure Marie Curtis is there as well that's where you're learning to do sports weekly then you've had a little bit of a break headers and volleys then you've jumped straight into PE with Mr Butler who's beaming them at you maybe We play a little bit of Danish cricket. And then once you've worked up a sweat and you're feeling good, you go and grab your lunch. You've got your ham sandwiches cut into squares. You've got your crisps. You've got your penguin original. You've picked up a penguin. And then you've gone into double film studies. You may be watching Apocalypse Now. Hitchcock, Ian McCormick's teaching that. Absolute legend. Apologising for your brother bringing in the VHS of Strangers on a Train. God, such a good story. I really want to revisit that. We're going to have to have a spin-off episode just about that. We'll have your brother on. But now we are at the final point of the day. And we have gathered inside the, the great hall, the auditorium, whatever you called it mm. at your school. We've got all the kids of today yeah. are sat there and they are looking for advice from you. Ooh. They're looking oh. for advice from you on either yeah. what to do or what not to do if they are hoping to reach the heights that you
0: have in your mm. career. So what is the advice you're sharing with the kids of today? So, I got into my industry, I wouldn't say through the back door, but I, I didn't get a full time job until I was 27 because I'd messed up early in life. You know, I messed up at school, I messed up at university. So, I was selling plastic substrates into the sign making industry, which wasn't as much fun as it sounds, um, <laughs> by the way. Um, so, my first point to them would be if you could identify something that you like, something that you would want to. Pursue as a career. You know, if you haven't got that, don't worry about it. It will come. But if you have got that, then tailor what you do towards it. When you're old enough uh, and you have that independence, go and volunteer. Go and work in the hospital radio station. Go and work, you know, make the teas at the local newspaper. Start your own magazine. Everyone these days will have a mobile phone that has the capability of recording on it. So go to a sport event, sit in front of the telly, commentate, hone your craft. But when you do get given opportunities, as I was at BBC Radio Derby for free um, on a Saturday afternoon on occasion, turn up. Be reliable because... You could spend weeks and weeks pleading someone for an opportunity but then you could go out on a Friday night oversleep on the Saturday can't be bothered today and someone else will take that job because they were more serious about it as it turns out than you were Mm -hmm. the first time I ever got paid to do anything on the radio was a BBC Radio Derby they gave me the radio car like the BBC Radio Derby car and they sent me down to Forest Green Rovers who were a non-league minor league team at the time for an FA Vars replay against Matlock Town who were the Derbyshire team and I I was so keen to get back to Derbyshire to listen to my report, my post-match report, that I got caught speeding. So the fee for my first ever paid gig was £20. The fine was 50. So I was 30 pounds down on my first gig. Don't speak, kids, is one of the things I'll say <laughs> yes. in this motivational speech. Go slow, uh, stick to the speed limit. But in order to get paid, I had to turn up 30, 40 times not getting paid, paying my own bus fare to get there. And it's about being reliable and it's about listening and it's about talking to people and gleaning experience. Don't think you know it all. You don't be an open book and just soak up as much information and knowledge as you possibly can. It will stand you in good stead going forward. But the more focused you can be, uh, you know, the earliest age you could possibly be, that's an advantage too. Definitely.
1: I 100% agree with you as far as taking those opportunities and people being like hawks waiting to take that opportunity away mm. from you if you are in that situation. And what you said about, you know, if that opportunity is unpaid and just getting out there in front of people, it doesn't mean it's right. That it's unpaid I know there's no, you know it's no. uh, there's a lack of justice when it comes to that a lot of times in the industry but sometimes getting that experience having the opportunity to get around those people sure don't do it if they're gonna keep abusing that and hope that you're giving them all the work for free but if it's the opportunity to get on the dance floor that's Mm. pretty valuable too i've taken a lot of those opportunities in my career that have some have resulted in nothing and some have really resulted in something honestly led me towards working with you that whole experience and getting to have that time with you and learning from you honestly becoming mates with you during that Mm. time telling stories about oasis and talking about james and all your favorite bands and music and what we grew up on was so much fun and which is why i knew you'd be fantastic to come on this podcast and get you through this experience of your last first day so i do just want to congratulate you mate on everything because you have now completed your last first day it's all done marvelous it's all done so mate thank you so so much for joining me i so so appreciate it before i let you go is there anything you want to promote anything you want to talk about share with the listeners
0: well i don't think um ted lasso needs much promotion but we're almost at the uh, halfway stage of what may be the final season i think people are gonna really enjoy watching this thing come to a conclusion. I've got a a couple of inklings as to what might happen so I'm sworn to secrecy obviously but it's mm-hmm. you know it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun and then yes live golf if you fancy watching golf with a slightly different uh a different way of broadcasting and a slightly different format with the teams and uh and the individual competition you can watch on the live golf plus app or on the cw to watch myself david faherty uh jerry faults don boulay suan hang troy mullins an absolutely brilliant team and it's a brilliant product as well so uh yeah for golf fans tune in or for non-golf fans tune in um, We'd love to see what you think about it. Fantastic. Mate, thank you once again. Thank you so much for
1: joining me on the pod. It was such a pleasure to have you on, such a pleasure to catch up. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again in the near future here, but wishing you all the best until I catch you again. And one thing I did want to say before we go, one thing that's meant a lot to me in my career that when you were sort of talking about the advice to people, one thing that really shows about you is that, your love of this industry and your love of what you do is absolutely infectious from the first day I met you when we were working on the premier league set together, you were someone who it wasn't like your first day professionally, but you treated it like your first day with like the level of professionalism and excitement and what you wanted to bring to the table in that moment. It was like every day was the first day Mm, as far mm. as we're never going to settle we're never going to settle. I always want this to be the best it can possibly be. And I learned so much from that. And that work ethic has always stuck with me. So what you do, I'm sure it's infectious to everyone who works around you. And I love seeing that. I love seeing that come through the camera. I love seeing that come through on set with you. It has been such a pleasure to learn from you over the years, my friend, and really just a, a pleasure to stay in contact and so thank you again Mm. so so much for doing this I really
0: appreciate it well I I appreciate those words Billy and you you know I value our friendship very very much and uh, I look forward to um, I owe you beers for that last comment Um, (laughs) and I shall buy you them in uh, when we get to Bedminster New Jersey we'll catch up later in the later in the summer I hope
1: let's do it I look forward to it mate all the best to you all the best to the family and I will talk to you soon take care And so ends another Last First Day at the Last First Day Academy. Thank you so, so much to Dr. Arlo White for joining me for his last first day for the first last time. And if you haven't already, please be sure to go back to rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, love the podcast, embrace the podcast, get to know the podcast or even just comment on the podcast. Tell us about your most ridiculous lunch. I want to know all those stories and more. Most importantly, join us again next week because I've got another fantastic guest who is already getting their pencil pouches filled up, writing something ridiculous on the front of their textbook, coming up with an excuse for why they don't have their homework because they want to share their stories with you next week on the Last First Day podcast. But until then, class dismissed.